Hey guys, it's me, James, the Lord HMFIC, and this is my first podcast. I apologize up front for the audio. Uh, with COVID still going on, uh, everything was done over the interwebs and not in person. Hopefully we'll be able to get to do some in-person interviews soon, but I think you guys are going to like it. I get to talk with uh, the lone, current Lone Wolf Cannonball record holder, Fred Ashmore. Dude is legend. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to the podcast as much as I enjoy talking with Fred. Uh, he's a great guy, and I really look forward to seeing what he's got coming up in the future. I'd also like to thank a few sponsors, uh, Zendex Tools for their GoJacks. They're amazing. Without them, I couldn't move my cars around the garage with the ease that I do. Uh, Jamco Suspension. Tony's a great guy. A lot of his products are made here in the United States, and they did all the suspension under my 41 Buick Super Coupe, and it rides amazing, uh, even with the, the rake. I'd also like to thank Elite Audio, Elite Tintin Audio uh, here in Elk Grove, California. They do all the stereo uh, and electronic upgrades to my truck, uh, Truck Verde. That part is still running great. <laughs> Hopefully I'll get a new engine in her soon. Um, but she's still holding on, so I can't complain. Uh, lastly, I want to thank Ultra Truck Works. They handle all my suspension, uh, and they always stand by their work. Uh, they go way above and beyond to help me out. And uh, just a b great bunch of guys. Uh, if you need anything that falls into any of those companies' purview, I definitely hope you check them out and let them know the Lord sent you. Here we go. Hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Well, how you been? Long time no here. Yeah, I've just been uh, really busy uh, filming some TV shows and you know, working around my house in Oklahoma, you know, trying to get ready for, you know, the, the big event we're having here in September. And they're really just just kind of been, as we say back home, right out straight. So that is not a term I'm familiar with. <laughs> so what, what's the event? It's uh, basically, it's a get-together for a bunch of transcontinental guys. We're having an event that's going to end here. It's called the 18. It's the most miles you can drive in 18 hours. And um, so you start at um, 6 p.m. Central Time. Uh, I, I apologize. Um, yes, 6 p.m. Central Time the night before. And it ends at noontime on Saturday at my place. So everybody will be coming in all at the same time. Oh, so are you going to start from the same place and end at no, the same place? That's the best part of this whole thing. You can start from anywhere. Huh. That that sounds like I, I don't. You guys must have a pretty eclectic crew. Like, yeah, we're, we're pretty different. So, man, I, I guess. That, man, I'm just thinking how hard it is to get people to show up to a Cars and Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I put this out there, I put this out there quite a ways in advance. And, you know, unfortunately, it's like any event. You have the people that start, you know, start falling off at the end of it. And, you know, we've had that happen. But, you know, I'm really not worried about it. I'm making a big event out of it. We're going to have a good time. We're going to do some lawnmower races. We're going to have some uh, charitable that competitions and, awesome. and do some just do some good stuff. We're going to uh, try to make a sizable donation to the uh, Cannonball Memorial Run Fund 
uh, at the event, and uh, we'll put everybody's name together on it and, and send it over. That's for a Fallen Officers Fund for their families. Uh, they're a big supporter of transcontinental racing, actually. Uh, really? The racing part, but, you know. Uh, Just the first part? Yeah. <laughs> so, so. It'll be good to, you know, to hopefully get them a nice, sizable donation at the end of the event and uh, donate to a really worthy cause. Nice. That's really cool. Man, you had me at uh, lawnmower races. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, they're not going to be like the ones you see where everybody's got jacked up, souped up. They're really going to be lawnmowers with no belts on the deck, lawnmower racing. It's, it's going to be... It's going to be slow, but, you know, everybody's going to have a shot. So it just kind of be fun. We're going to probably have a poker tournament, you know, with the winnings going to the, you know, Memorial Fund. And uh, I've got a couple other tricks up my sleeve to, to do, and uh, we're going to give it a shot. So Nice. Well, okay. Yeah, I'm not uh, – I've been curious. Um, so I watched uh, Apex uh, this afternoon again and preparation and i was kind of thinking this is kind of like it seems like that the guys that run these type of rallies that like the cannonball are like uh shriners almost like it seems like you guys are kind of like your own group and you don't really talk about your own group so much outside your own group and i get why uh, yeah would that Very be so. accurate it's pretty accurate, and, you know, just like anything that core sometimes gets compromised and, you know, you have, you have fallings out with people and, you know, you patch and you mend it. But, you know, for the most part, we try to keep the nucleus pretty solid and, you know, try to keep everybody on the same page and, and uh, you know, just try to protect the interested transcontinental drives and, you know, keep everybody safe out there. That's, that's really the, the number one priority. That makes sense. Do you guys use that term, squids? Like, it's a motorcycle term for guys that just drive crazy and all over the place? Um, actually, the, the term I think they use is they, they call us cannonballers, obviously, but they, they call <laughs> us the fraternity of lunatics is what they call. So, oh, know, I mean, guys that yeah. don't fit in, like guys that are not driving safe and not being in control. Yeah, it, we try to kind of filter that out. And, and you know, we have had run-ins like that in the past of, of people we just kind of had to alienate from the entire group um, just because, um, you know, you, you can tell. When somebody does it for the first time, you can see the anxiousness. And, and, and once you do it, you almost it's like you're a veteran you, you you feel it and you understand it so when you see somebody that's taking it haphazardly or being very you know unserious about you know, transcontinental driving it's you you know they they lose communication people shut them off they don't keep them in the know and they just kind of take you out of the group and um it's a group you know you're either in the know or you're not in the know and you know a lot of times even being in the group sometimes you'll hear about things secondhand and you know which is fine i mean that's it, that that's a good thing because it you know it keeps it up it keeps it on the down low so it's really not out there and you're not getting a uh, large amount of people there that really shouldn't be doing it nice so i've been thinking about this one a lot uh about our this conversation with you a lot and i think the best way to start and i think bookend at the end will probably be um with like a little history some people don't really understand what the cannonball is uh yeah. so my understanding and please 
correct me or elaborate. When I was growing up as a kid, I remember I used to read Brock Yates uh, editorials. Yep. I remember when uh, kind of vaguely hearing my parents and other adults talk about the federal, you know, rollout of the 55 mile per hour speed limit and how everybody hated it. And uh, then the Brock Yates was trying to do the cannonball as like a, uh, a protest to show that our freeways could support sustained, safe, high speed travel in from one coast to another. Um, and then it kind of, devolved into uh, like a bit of a circus and it seemed like he backed away from it and the magazine kind of backed away from it after the movies came out. Um, is that correct or would you agree? Uh, or? It, it's quite correct. Um, the, the whole really basis of Cannonball goes back further than that. Um, Cannonball Baker uh, really was the one that started the transcontinental drives back and forth across the country and he was he was well known he was you know he raced indianapolis uh very very um well seasoned in uh, coast to coast on motorcycles coast to coast in cars you know just many i i think he has hundreds of uh, transcontinental records and just kept breaking them and breaking them and breaking them and that's really where you know the the term cannonball comes from because they called him you know, right. cannonball baker and that's what uh, they called the first, the initial run was the the Cannonball Baker Sea to Shining Sea Memorial Trophy. Dash. Yeah, right. Yeah, Dash. That's right. That's a heck of a mouthful. <laughs> well, that that's why when the movie came out, they just called it Cannonball Run. Cannonball Run. run. So, He's yeah, a t-shirt, that's for sure. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's really where it started. And it started out with a van called Moon Trash that uh you know brock yates you know, decided that he was gonna you know give it a shot and, and try it out and that was actually the real inaugural one uh most people don't talk about the moon trash van they talk more about the um the ambulance right yeah the, the ambulance in the later years and stuff the ambulance actually was never um never completed it and uh travis bell one of the you know fellow cannonballers has made a has made a uh, complete accurate replica and he's even attempted it a couple times and, and the thing is just cursed so huh. um so i have mixed feelings on how effective a van would be like on one hand it would be kind of nice if you were doing like multiple drivers to give somebody a, a place to stretch out yeah. And of course, you know, you have all that space for fuel and technology, whatever you want to use. But on the other hand, it's a van. <laughs> yeah, well, it's very true that the van thing has been talked over so many times. Uh, it, I always say, you know, it's kind of like my galaxy. Everybody's like, well, how fast does it go? And, it, and I said, you know, really around 136, 130. 37 it, it's like throwing a dry sponge into an oscillating fan it, it's really not going anywhere you can make all the noise it can rev up it can downshift but it, it's just it's only going to go so fast and uh, that's really the way vans are you can put the you know four or five hundred horsepower motor in it but you're fighting the laws of physics right from yeah. the start and uh, that's that's why it has been you know such a such a difficult journey across the country in a van well, and you need all of that um, fuel economy is out the window, really, when you're pushing a brick down the freeway. Oh, definitely, definitely, by all means. Huh. Okay. Well, it sounds like we're we're moving 
got the history part down. I didn't mess that up too bad, so I feel good about that. Um, so let's talk about like prep. So obviously this isn't your first rodeo, but what what's that like? Like what's prepping for something like this entail for you? Honestly, from a physical standpoint, I'm I'm probably the worst prepper from a physical standpoint. But on the other hand, um, my body is kind of a natural for it. And it, obviously, you know, I'm no, I'm no, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, all in shape and everything. But my my mindset, my ability to um, shut things off and just you know concentrate and go and stay out for uh extreme amounts of time so a, a lot of that for me I, I don't have to condition my mind or my body that way um probably the most common question i get is you know everybody for i i don't know what goes on in the world that everybody has to go to the bathroom like four or five times a day but <laughs> i don't I, I i really don't i mean it, you see people fast all the time and it's like 24 48 hours sometimes you know longer than that so you know, for the most part, I, I've always said, and I've said it a hundred times in interviews, and this will probably be the thing I'm known for. Uh, if you don't put it in, it doesn't have to come out. So, you know, really, <laughs> you just eat accordingly, and don't eat accordingly on the way. So, uh, you, you kind of you know, keep yourself so you don't put yourself in that position. There's no greasy cheeseburgers. You're not stopping at Whataburger. You're not grabbing an Arby's. Your, you know, snack crackers, water. Uh, general stuff like that is uh, the food preparation for me. I like beef jerky and uh, salty foods. Um, and a lot of people, you know, same thing. They they hear that and they automatically think, you know, what it does to your body and blah, blah, blah. But it seems to work fine with me. Uh, I've got a clean bill of health, uh, low blood pressure and everything. So sodium and salt doesn't bother me. Um, really, the preparation to me is more... Um, the vehicle, the vehicle, because in reality, when you do this, the, the vehicle is the is the, the integral key to the whole thing. I mean, if the vehicle doesn't get out of New York, the trip's over and then you get to right. the next state and the next state. So the vehicle to me is probably the most integral part. You really have to have something that you've gone through the brakes. You've you've, you've gone through all the safety features. Make sure you have new tires on it. Um, you know, check the vehicle over, you know. The, there's so many little things you do. You put new belts on it. You change the fluids. You change that serpentine idler that's been on there X amount of miles. You know, the little things, the battery, the alternator, uh, all those little things, you, they add up. But they're things that can really just end your day. And it's it's maintenance. It's not me. I've always built my own cars. So, you know, it's it, to the average person, it's just general maintenance you would do to your car before you do a long trip. You know, check your spare tire, make sure, you know, that is fine. Um, and and then you kind of go into the fuel end of it. You know, some people, you know, prefer no fuel, extra fuel tanks. Uh, to me, to be competitive, obviously, you, you have to have some alternative fuel source. And that really is is the, the stumbling point for most teams. Uh, they don't understand fuel transfer. And if I would almost put 50% plus of unsuccessful runs across the country is due to fuel pump failure, uh, fuel transfer failure. Really? And yes, yes, very, very uh, common, very often. Now, do you mean a, like a stock fuel pump failure, or do you mean they've added extra tanks and the, the ability to transfer fuel from their extra tanks to the, you know, the, the running tank? Well, it's a little bit of both. Um, see, 
like one of the faults that that ambulance has is it has the wrong fuel pump system on it. And um, Travis and I have talked about it, you know, time and time again. And they just recently tried to do a run and they didn't fix the fuel problem and they broke the fuel pump again. And um, it's it's Arnie and Doug when they were racing against me in 19. They had a fuel issue in the ultra beige and the ultra beige has, has had several fuel issues. Um, Steve Brown, in his, his first attempt, he broke down, and, and uh, him and I spoke and uh, talked. I talked him through how to actually do a proper transfer, you know, from his tanks and stuff. Um, I can go on and on for people with, they'll buy a, a fuel tank and, and they'll buy it used and it'll delaminate, um, you know, uh, non-bladdered tanks. Um, David Simpson had some fuel pump issues on um, the 2018 run, but these are just ones I'm naming off the top of my head, and just just by naming wow. them, you know, there's dozens and dozens of other ones. It makes sense. I mean, it, hell, if I don't screw the cap on tight in my truck, it throws an error code, and it, you know, and of course, it just it's an engine light. So you're like, okay, or is it catastrophic, or is it just the fuel cap? So I would imagine, especially these guys that are running the, uh, you know, high-end German stuff, the Audis, the big Audis and the big Beamers and stuff, I would I would imagine that modifying a fuel system in one of those, especially one of the newer ones, would be problematic. It, it very well can be, um, because what winds up happening in your newer vehicles is they run a, a pressurized fuel system. So that that swoosh you here when you take your cap off it's because your system pressurizes that to capture all the uh hydrofluorocarbons and stuff to uh get them back to the motor to reburn in the egr so uh yeah you're 100 correct um guys out of boston um i call them the boston brawlers that ran the audi twice and ran the uh bmw the last time uh, that was the s8 i say that again was that the s8 Yes, I believe I believe so. It was a black S8, and then they run another BMW, a white one. Um, I always call them the Boston Brawlers because I, I think there's two Chris's and um, and I, the other guy's name is is you know losing. Um, I can't think of it right now, but um, the two Chris's and they always had an, another third co-pilot that was that was random. So on the three times, they had three different co-pilots or third oh. different person. So, but uh, they they seem to have. Uh, in the short period of time, they seem to figure it out pretty well. Um, the guys who run that, the white S8, that um, was the first of the COVID runs, I'm guessing they, they must have figured it out pretty well too. It's really, it's a really simple thing that people make too complex. And when you get into the newer cars, you have to look into your tuning and go in there and shut certain things off that are that are going to cause you issues, especially when you get in, like you said, the German cars. Um, my vehicles, honestly, it's more or less, you know, how you transfer, how you vent. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make uh, in that aspect is they always use high volume pumps and you have no reason to have a high volume pump. Um, a small, you know, little trickle pump or um, pulse pump is, is plenty enough. Um, and, and to me, that's what I've always used for my transfers in all my cars. Well, except for the Galaxy. The Galaxy had a had its own pump and a huge tank. So. Um, but uh, so yeah, so the fuel system is is another thing to, uh, for the preparation. Uh, when when you're not working on the car, you really need to work on your route. And when I say that is, you need to know your your fuel economy. Like what's what's the range of your, your car now? Your range of your car is different 
you know, based on how you drive it. I mean, if you drive it 55, it's going to get different fuel mileage. And if you drive sure. it 100, so, so at that aspect, you need to know where the fuel stations are um, in relationship to where you plan on stopping. And you have to have alternates. Um, you can go there, their pumps can be broke, the power can be out, you're, you know, they might be closed. Uh, you just don't know. So you, you, uh, your route planning is a very, very big deal. Um, you have to know, you know where the construction is or if there's construction. And, and many times that determines whether you take the northern or southern route. Um, the northern route is, is seemed to be proving faster, you know, over the last several years. But um, That makes sense. Yeah. So, the south so is really filling up. You need... Yeah, so you have to you have to check out because there's there's areas in the northern route and the southern route where it's just desolate and you don't want to be on the end of your fuel, you know, one of those desolate areas. Um, and so so the route's a big planning. Knowing your traffic in and out of your cities. When I did my run, that was probably the biggest thing my brother and I did. We studied traffic in and out of New York, uh, in and out of L.A., uh, St. Louis. Um, very fortunate that during the COVID there was a lot less traffic, but we actually took took advantage of a window of actually leaving during the day, which which was unorthodox, like you said. But um, you know, because we were monitoring traffic and people weren't leaving the city, they were only really coming to the city, you know, early in the morning. So you know, we use that to our advantage. Um, other preparations in the car, um, be familiar with what you have for, for software. If you have you know, Waze, understand what, what everything is on Waze. Uh, make sure you sync your maps and your GPS. Uh, make sure um, your tablets and stuff are not just charged, but have, have uh, support. So they're, they're charging the whole entire time so they don't die on you. Um, there's there's so many things. Let's talk about that a little bit more. So... <clears throat> That was another part of it um, that I was really curious about because I, in watching um, like past videos and in this one uh, and the you know that the Apex movie, I really liked about that and I definitely recommend it. If anybody hasn't seen it, go out and watch Apex. It's a pretty pretty interesting way to to see a little bit of history, but also one guy actually doing the race. But in the historical part of it. Um, and we got a lot of people that wanted to, me to ask you questions about, you know, this part in particular. Um, the older cars, it looked like they were, I mean, the tech, there just wasn't that technology available. So it seemed like they focused on things like um, high output, you know, headlights and ability to turn brake lights on and off and ability to um, like change like lighting configurations within the vehicle and like in vehicle communications. Now, car, obviously, cars are more modern, so in-car communication, I wouldn't imagine, would be as big of an issue. But uh, do you are you somebody that that likes a lot of electronics? Do you run multiple tablets and that kind of stuff, or are you, do you more pared down? Or um, it, it's an interesting thing, and this is this is a very very gray area. Um, I have always been a very limited technology guy and the reason is is because if you rely just solely on your technology now you've handicapped yourself you've put yourself to the disadvantage because if something happens on one of those and and you know and that's what you rely on then you know you really you know you've you stack the deck against you i don't rely on so much technology and things that don't improve my run 
um, you know, Waze, uh, I found when we did the 2019, our Waze and our Google Maps were unsynced. So they were telling us that one says going straight, one says take the exit. And, you know, and that was a, a blunder on our on our part. But um, I find myself that unless you have a, a third party that simply controls that stuff, that's being a feed or being a um, information transfer between other people, uh, it really... To me, too much technology is a detriment. But on the other hand, too, I've never been able to have somebody with a, a thermal scope or a you know airplane avoidance system in my car or you know forty or fifty spotters. I've never had that, so I don't know. Um, it, it's it is a huge advantage, and I'm sure when used properly, it can can be great. But like everything else, one one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch, and. Uh, that to me is a lot of times with technology. My cars I build are bulletproof. They're not German sedans. They're not, the, the cars I choose are run of the mill, reliable vehicles that are, are known to be 100% reliable. And I try to make them you know, more reliable by updating parts. So the technology I find for myself is very selective. The, I, I take the stuff I need. I take the stuff I can definitely benefit and definitely use. And so that's another thing about a solo run is run today. Like, um, if you were gonna if you were gonna rent another Mustang, <laughs> what are like the uh, what's the what's your what's your list? Like, what are the things that you're like? I, I mean, obviously we've discussed the fuel system, which I definitely want to circle back on later. But um, like, what technology wise, what's the what are what do you got to have in it, and what are you definitely not putting in it? Um, n number one, I can't rent a car anymore. I'm, I'm internationally banned from renting cars. So that's out. Um, so we got that out of the way. How did you deliver that message? Um, they, uh, I went to rent a car on the way back from Atlanta filming a, uh, TV series, uh, TV sizzle for, um, David, David Simpson, great guy. And, uh, I flew back here to Tulsa and tried to rent another Mustang and I got there and they clicked on the, on the uh, keyboard and. Uh, the individual says, I need to speak to my manager. I'll be right back. I got to get an override. Well, the manager came back and the kid looked at me and he says, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, we can't rent you a car. I said, oh, and I said, does it say why? And he says, no, it just says call security. So, <laughs> uh, so I just, I chuckled. It said and, call security? Yeah. <laughs> what is I have I have rented a few cars and I don't believe I've ever seen security. <laughs> yeah. So is there a I don't, I don't really know the big room that we don't know about? Uh, I don't know if someone like a ninja comes out from behind the counter or what, but uh, I, uh, anyway, I laughed about it and I kept going and uh it, it it's been a good chuckle for me ever since and uh but do you so know if that's just the one or is it across the board? It's across the board. I can't rent from anybody. <laughs> well, you can't say you didn't earn that band, that's for sure. Oh, it's fine. You know, it doesn't bother me. And it's okay because I know that now. I, I, you, know, you get off a plane and, you know, you know you can't rent a car, so you find other options. You you buy something or you get an Uber or you just, you, you know, in advance <laughs> that you're not going to be able to get it. I, I've, I've flown in and bought cars from people before and driven them around. So, you know, I, I do that a lot, too. So, that's so yeah. Rad. So, Beyond the car, let's say you can rent a car. Um, 
number one, just get a, a really good a GPS, a really updated, know, know your, your routes are updated. That way it has the current construction patterns on them. Um, you really need to run ways. Uh, there's a couple a couple new apps out there I'm not terribly familiar with. Uh, Doug Tabbitt was running one the other day on C2C showing us uh, some of the air, aircraft radar that's they got out now. So you can see the, the planes above you actually, um, you know, radar on the interstate that was ohio by the way so but uh, so that for tracking like police uh spotter planes yeah or okay that makes that makes sense yeah so it's it's a yin and a yang it's a constant battle between can we outsmart you can we outsmart you and you know you you take your hat off to them and you you know you get me this time i get you next time so how do you feel about like um, like radar detectors and jammers and and things like that? Do you? Um, I find that they terrify me. Um, just if I'm driving along, uh, I I've never personally owned them, but I've been on trips with like where we were specifically making time, and buddies have brought their units in and installed them, and they every time they go off, it's I, I guess maybe because I wasn't used to them, and yeah. It's, you know, I, I didn't like uh, one of the guys was like, oh, that could be because we just drove by a strip mall and they have the, you know, the doors that open automatically and those will set them off. And I thought, if this thing's going to go off every time we go by a strip mall, then I, <laughs> what are we doing? Well, well, so I assume it's better than that now. So, yes. And, and there's to understand a radar detector, you have to understand the filtering system and what departments use which filtering uh which which series there's ka there's x there's laser there's k band so it goes on and on there's a bunch of bands so you have to understand that normally you don't see k band on the interstate you're, you're going to see a ka and x or a or a laser is what you're going to see so uh, anybody that has one usually usually that's doing this filters out the k you get intermittent k's occasionally if you're you know in a, in a small town or, or off you know the beaten path you get a, some k radars but not very often at all on the interstate so somebody that has that type of radar system probably hasn't filtered it out because they drive the back roads they drive you know a little bit of everywhere but most of your police detection your radar detector is only as good as your spotter so if you got people that are are police officers that's doing instant on you know your radar detector is not going to do any good so your biggest asset to have is a good spotter because a good spotter will see a cop before they spot you or they'll before they instant on you and that that's a big key and and we still use you know the cutout taillights it's a little bit harder now with electronic systems to to cut the taillights on them but it's well, I say taillights, I mean brake lights, um, because of, you know, the updated technology, you you have to find out where to tap into them where you're not upsetting everything. And, uh, you know, that can kind of you know be, you know, time consuming in itself. So, you know, the brake lights are, are one of those things that it seems to be, I don't know, it's kind of like having a CB. You kind of do it just, just to do it. Um, you do use it occasionally um, in the right situations, but a lot of times you don't. Uh, I had uh, ALP jammers in my Cobra and I had ALP uh, uh, jammers in my um, rental Mustang. And 
the only time the ALPs went off in the Cobra was when we were coming in Omaha, and we had already spotted the cop, you know, uh, almost half three quarters of a mile ahead, and um, wow. they were looking for us, and we saw them before they saw us, and we were already we were already at speed limits, so they they just whacked us after we went by, and we laughed about it, and then just got out of Nebraska. But when I, I did the solo run, I saw no lasers anywhere, uh, nothing, nothing at all. So I installed the ALPs, but it was, it, I'm not going to say it was useless because it only takes one time where it saves your ass. And sure. um, you know, that's why we do it. Huh. Okay. So it sounds like, like maybe a tablet to run your ways and then a GPS to sync to that. So you've got two and then a good radar laser jammer and that's sounds like pretty basic it's not as involved as i thought it would be well it, it can be more involved but it a lot depends on how many people you have going with you are you doing it by yourself because if you're doing it by yourself you know you can have all these people that say oh why didn't you do this why didn't you do that why didn't you film this why didn't you do that i'm one person i'm right. driving as fast as i can possibly drive you know, it's, it's bad enough, you know, we're, we're not supposed to be texting at, at 55 miles an hour. Can you imagine driving 160 and over here trying to refresh your GoPro and, you know, message this guy and message that guy and, and resync yeah. your, your glimpse and everything else? It's it's just not realistic. Makes sense. I, I think another part of this type of a race that I find very interesting, because there's no sanctioning body per se... What do you think is like cheating? Like what what do you think um like you know somebody said they use they do you how like how do you feel about airplane spotters? Is that a rough spot for you or like is there anything that you feel is not like kosher that degrades the you know the end result? There's only one thing and one thing only that degrades the results in can the in cannonball. There's only one and one thing only. And that's that's the the known uh, calling of somebody in intentionally, and that to me is is outside the book. Anybody that does that or anybody that says that, um, to they me, do that does oh, calling in another racer. Yes. Wow. Okay. That's pretty liberal. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a, that sounds pretty unlimited. <laughs> well, it, it is, but. But, you know, we had an instance, you know, it happened It happened to me. I, I dealt with it and uh, happened to another guy who won the bandit run. He was doing a he was putting up a pretty good time and running pretty hard. And and, you know, one of the previous record holders decided he had, he had sent him a message and told him he just heard this guy's car came in over the scanner that he was called in. This guy's getting ready to ditch his car, you know, hide it out in the woods somewhere because the police are chasing him. He goes, he starts going off these back roads. He's 30 miles out in the woods. And the willy wags, he's literally getting ready to ditch a car and try to find a ride. And, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, the guy said he was joking. I mean, that's, oh, it's, not funny. it's not funny. It's 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 not funny at all. No, so, no, I mean, that's it. And unfortunately, that that type of well, I guess any type of race is. But this type of race specifically is circumstances such a big part of it. To throw a wrench in yeah. somebody's race that's running good, I mean, that might have been a time that, that doesn't get eclipsed for 15 years. So to me, you asked the question, I gave you the answer. Cool. The only cheating in Cannonball 
is, is either knowingly or intentionally calling somebody in or letting people know that you're going to get called in on your own. And that to me, that to me is is dirtbag. That to me is outside of the the uh, ethics uh, of the whole entire thing. That, that makes sense. Is there? Um, how do you feel about the airplane spotters? Um, hey, to each their own. You know, they always say the money is the root of all evil, and you know, if you have enough money, then you can do anything. I mean. They, well, we're going to get to the point where they shut down. Somebody has enough money to shut down and have a police escort all the way across the United States so somebody can drive a 150 or 160. So be it. What are you going to do about it? I mean, we want to split hairs. We can go keep going back and back and back. What was the first cheating? Was it a CB? Was it having a, you know, sure. was it, you know, using drugs to stay awake? I mean, if, if we keep going and, and taking that aspect of it, then you know you really can split them all, right? You know, and everything's a record if you want to go that way. Um, to me, I've always found the advantage in racing is doing something that nobody else has done, taking advantage of something somebody else couldn't do, uh, dissecting other people's runs, sitting down, figuring out. When I did my solo run, Arnie and Doug said to me, "Well, how can you run as close to us?" I didn't have to stop six times. I didn't have two passengers. So I didn't have that extra weight. I did temporarily, but as my fuel burned off, my car picked up speed and picked up fuel mileage. So sure. it's, it's, it's all advantages you find that other people can't take advantage of. Um, so is there you know, a gray area of uh, you know, what's cheating and what's not? I guess anybody could say there is. And every, a lot of people say, oh, well, COVID happened. Well, I don't know anybody that picks a time on the road when it's maximum traffic. So, I mean, how do you say COVID cheating, but, oh, we picked a time to run when we knew it wouldn't be busy in St. Louis and we knew nobody was going to be in New York and we knew nobody was going to be in L.A. So, you know, if you want to you want to go with traffic patterns, you know, we can we can you know split it that way, too, that that could be cheating. Um, to me, I just enjoy I enjoy, you know, the camaraderie that a lot of it has. I enjoy thinking outside the box. I enjoy I enjoy the people involved because even though they're your competitor or, you know, they're still they still have the same likenesses as you. They still enjoy the same adrenaline. They still want to be first. They still want to be the fastest. They still want a record. Um, or some people just do it for the drive. And I highly respect that as well. The number one thing people say to me, well, I want to go do a record. No, you don't. Go get in your car, make the best preparation you can, and take a ride across the country. That's what you need to do. And you do that, then you will get an eye-opener of how it really happens. And then maybe you know, set it up and, and try, to, try to drive a little faster. Or try, to, try to better your time. Try to best yourself. And, and that's what I tell people who ask me about it. I, I went in garages after you know my records and stuff, and, and people are like, "Oh, I'll beat you on a motorcycle," and I'm like, "No, you won't." That sounds like yeah. somebody that hasn't ridden a motorcycle very far. <laughs> yeah, but but you get that stuff. You always have your Monday morning quarterbacks. Why didn't you do this? Or if you took a GT500, it would have been faster. You should have taken a Hellcat. But you can always tell those people because they don't understand you know general things like fuel economy. 
like um, you know heat soak in superchargers. Um, it, it, they don't understand so many things to, and that's why the German sedans are so good. The German sedans are are the quintessentially the best cannonball cars ever, and you can't argue it. I mean, yeah. So I took a Mustang GT. That it doesn't mean it's the best cannonball car ever. And sure. It's it was the best for me in the time frame I had. You know, are there some Audis that I could have taken that would just been just as good or better? Probably. Um, but all in all, it just proves time and time again that the, the German sedan's the way to go. And there's a reason for that. Reliability, um, you know, economy, performance, it's just everything. Ride, uh, like like Ed said in his uh, running of his car, you know, the electronic suspension, you know, adjusts itself so many times a second. And to have a car like that, that can do that, that doesn't beat you to death. Because uh, if you've never driven across country, it is an eye opener when you get to some of these cities and there's potholes, you know, half the size of your car there or <laughs> roads ripped up or a, a six inch strip that's a foot deep for five miles in the middle of the road. I mean, uh, it's it's really it's really, you know, man against machine and, you know, mother nature. And then you throw the police at it and it makes it kind of an interesting ride. So, sure. So that, that actually dovetails really great into, um, the first question that we had, um, what, so it sounds like you've got uh definite appreciation for the Germans and as, as do I, uh, but what made you choose the Mustang for this run? It was what they had in stock. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot of options. Um, uh, I had looked at, um, I'd sourced a Hellcat, a wrecked Hellcat, and I was, I was in the process of doing that. And I, I started chasing out some more research. Research is your best friend. Research is so easy to do, and so many people do not do it. Um, and I had found that the, the Hellcat got such terrible fuel mileage. And on really? top of that, it was, what's up? Really? Even at, even at, like, cruising speed? Uh, well, it, we don't drive them with cruising speed. So it's not, it's, it's not, a, uh, it's not well, a cruising car. You know, well, you're, you're going to drive it as fast as you can constantly. At speed. Yeah. And uh, I, I think I actually read a stat where if you held the car on the floor and drove it as fast as it could, it would empty the gas tank in, like, 15 minutes or something. It was <laughs> absurd. But... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome, but it's not for cannonballing. So, um, so you know, I chased out a, a, I really had sourced out a Scat Pack charger, and that's really what I had planned. I had actually, you know, designed a way to mobile refuel the car, and um, some things kind of changed my mind last minute, and, you know, COVID hit, and everything got shut down, which, you know, it changed a lot of things, and and uh, so I was on a TV set when when everything got shut down, and I actually started sourcing a, a scat pack. I had one all purchased and ready ready to pick up, and I, I canceled it last minute and headed to Oklahoma. And uh, at that point, I started you know just long nights. There was nothing going on. There was nobody doing anything, and uh, started you know chasing out what my options were. And the best option, really horsepower. And what was available was a Mustang GT. And you know, the newer Mustangs have IRS in the back of them. Again, they had them in the early 2000s in the Cobras. But yeah. um, it was a it was a performance package one. 
and the first car I actually reserved, they gave away. So I went to the I went to the uh, Hertz to pick up the car. I'm waiting for a Mustang GT, and I was like, uh, "Hi, my name's Fred Ashmore. I'm here to pick up the Mustang GT." And the guy goes, "We don't have any Mustangs." I said, "Yeah, I reserved one two days ago." Yeah, the last Mustang went out yesterday. We'll give you something else. I was like, I don't want anything else. And he said, well, we'll upgrade you. I said, you're not going to upgrade me to anything I want. He, he said, I said, what? A, I said, is this a Seinfeld? Is this where you can take the reservation, but you don't know where to hold the reservation? And he just kind of looked at me and I was like, I'm all set. Well, I had seen the silver car, the, the one I call Kilroy, um, at Avis on the way in. And I didn't know, but that it might even have been my car. And I went back up and there's a young girl there kind of having a miserable day. And I asked her if she'd rent it to me. And she said, sure. And I signed the papers. I was out of there. I don't even think if she might have checked the mileage. I was out of there like three to five minutes. And little did you know, that was the last one you'd ever get. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I own it now. So I bought the last one I rented. Oh, that's no, I so can't rad. Say that. I can't say that. I have snuck a couple rentals in. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> so when you got your Mustang, what was the turnaround time? So from, like, getting it home to going to New York to get the run started? I think I had the car for a total, with the bandit run and everything, I want to say... I don't think it was quite two weeks. I'll have to look it up. It was either it was right around the two week mark with everything. Bandit run, whole works, return, and back to it, back to Avis. Oh no! I mean, like, bro, you pick it up at the rental, and then I assume you bring it home to get it prepped. I brought uh, it home and got it prepped. Uh, I started sourcing fuel tanks. Um, I think I built the car in about three to four days, um, oh. and and uh, a lot of it was sourcing tanks. And you know, I did some some. Uh, you know, some fuel runs to see, you know, what the general fuel mileage was going to be you know, just locally. And um, so I uh, I got the fuel tank was in my Cobra actually fit perfect in the back of that. And my Cobra's out here in Oklahoma. So uh, I took that out and put it in the car and I sourced two other tanks. Uh, I sourced a, a tank that was actually off a tractor and that fit right in the back seat. And I made a little platform for it. <laughs> and then I had that 32 gallon fuel cell that everybody Everybody box at that sat in the passenger seat or where the passenger, not in the passenger seat, but where the passenger seat was. And then I just you know, went to the hardware store and started plumbing everything up and accessed the, the fuel tank below the back seat. There's a, two little uh, rubber rubber access panels you pull out and uh, access the tank there and did all my transfers and stuff there. And, and uh, I cut the, cut the license plate bracket, moved it up and put a light bar across the front of it and uh, put a little CB in it and started mounting my my uh, uh, tablets and stuff in it and uh, got my got my ergonomics right for like my radar detector and where I wanted to hold my you know GPS and stuff so I could still see around you know so I still had good visibility and stuff wasn't blocking the windshield too bad because that's the hardest part I can't say it's hardest part because it's I guess the whole thing's hard um, trying to spot while you're driving because you're trying to spot, you're trying to navigate, you're, you're, you're all in one. So, you know, you know, spend some time moving those around, you know, getting the radar detector up out of the way where I can still see like up on overpasses or, you know, things like that, or make sure my mirrors were clear so I could see behind me as easy as I needed to. So um, then I, I uh, brought it home here to my house and uh, put the ALPs in it and, you know, 
got that all done. And, you know, I, I want to say it's just three or four days if to, to get the car all done and ready. So. Pretty nice turnaround for a race car. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. And, you know, I was very, I was very blessed. I got a lot of good people around me. Uh, Ricky Creekmore out here let me use his shop because I wasn't set up to do work out here yet. And he, his, his wife, his wife was not happy when she first saw it. It was a brand new car. I was there. I wasn't there very long, and there was goats standing on the car. The oh no! Standing on the car, and uh, so <laughs> she came in, and I had ripped all the seats out of this brand new car. And she came in and just looked, and she's like, "What is going on?" And Ricky told her, and she just shook her head and walked out. But, um, <laughs> and, so, you know, there's kind of, from there, it's kind of history, but, you know, it really, you know, Ricky helped a lot, you know, Grant Goss, him and Brady, Brady Mullins, um, they, they were the guys who fueled me up in uh, Kellyville drum running. That's, that's another really, really big thing. A lot of people don't understand. It's not just the driver that, or the passenger or the spotter. It's, there's so many people involved with this stuff that help. You know, my brother helped um, from back home. You know, tried to help. You know, keep keep an eye on me, keep me you know on point, on task. You know, there's just so many people that that go into these things. Yeah, it's a solo run. Yeah, I didn't have everything everybody else did, but there was so much more involved. My brother did research and traffic patterns. You know, we sat down. He was a sounding board. I bounced things off him. He bounced them back off me, and then we we made the best you know the best decision with stuff we could. And that's that's probably the biggest thing. And I say that over and over again is research, research, research. And it doesn't matter if you're researching your car, researching your route, researching your electronics. Get as familiar with everything as you can because it makes the trip so much easier. The trip's not easy to start with, but if you understand what noise is doing what on the radar detector, it's, it brings the stress level down quite a bit. <laughs> like <laughs> Certainly that would have helped me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you've, uh, <laughs> I actually chucked it out the window. <laughs> Yep. It yep. went off, I think, like the seventh or eighth time, and I was just like, you know, you panic and looking in your mirrors and looking around trying to find a cop, and there never was one, so I just rolled the window down and. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it was a cheap one because some of them, some of them are really nice and expensive. By the sounds and the names I was called, I'm guessing not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know if you can answer this or not, but um, so once you've got the car ready to go and you're like, so you show up at the, in New York at the Red Ball and is there, is there like a guy there that you have to meet or like, do you just, is there, how do you set that up? Like New York, usually we just timestamp everything. I mean, everything's got timestamps on it, so it's not, it's not you know really hard to to do anything. You you get out, you take a picture with yourself in your car in front of it. It's timestamped in your phone. It's, I mean, some people have people on you know glimpsed. I took pictures of me when I was there, sent it to people at the same exact time, you know, three or four people, so they knew what was going on, and you know had them follow me throughout the run, and you know, that's. That's usually it always has been the standard. You know, you always have people balk at, you know, well, this or well, that or well, the other thing. And, and to me, I think the best part about cannonballing is going out and doing it for yourself. 
you know, if you beat a record or something, that's great, awesome. But there's always going to be somebody faster. There's always going to be, you know, somebody that will go out and, and beat your record or challenge your record. And and to me, it's all about why you do it. And like like you said, there's no sanctioning body. Who's to say yes? Who's to say no? And I do it for me. I do it for my enjoyment of, of going coast to coast and getting out at the end of the day, you know, and calling myself an idiot for why did you just do that? So. <laughs> Man, I, well, I, I don't, I can see, definitely see having that conversation, but I, man, I have nothing but applause and respect. I'm so stoked on, and it shocked, it shocks me that it's not embraced more, uh, not only because of its out in the law of nature, but um, because it's not a circle. You know, you're not driving in a track. You don't have a group of guys there to support you or to fix you if there's a problem. You're starting off on, you know, at the Red Bull in New York City and driving to L.A. And everything in between is your obstacle. And it's it's like a Rubik's Cube that never stops changing. Oh, Um, it, and any dynamic can end it. And that's that's probably one of the biggest things that, that people people don't realize is there's probably more failed attempts at cannonball than there are successful cannonballs. So on this run specifically, like why what was the reason for um I mean obviously again not your first rodeo, what made you want to do this one solo versus get a like a have a group of guys together with you? Well, I was supposed to do a solo run across the United States, you know, earlier that year. And I wound up on the TV show and we had talked about doing it. And I had been asked like dozens of times, dozens and dozens of times. People are, when are you going to do your run? When are you going to do your run? When are you going to do your run? It wasn't a matter of if or why I did a solo. I was going to do a solo. I had done a solo before. I I, I, that's how I kind of entered the cannonball. That's how I was known as doing a solo run. And I, I drive so much that people kept just saying to me, you know, when are you going to do this? And I, I said this, you know, with Ed and stuff, he said at some point I was, felt like I was almost letting other people down by not doing it. And this window of opportunity was so small and closing so quickly that it is an opportunity that we may never ever see again. Because even if there was another pandemic, I don't have the feeling that people are going to treat it the same way they treated this one. And, you know, or it's going to be more strict and less likely for anybody to be able to do it. Because technology is catching us faster than we are driving. And that's everything from OnStar. That's everything from you know, Ford Sync, um, GPSing, satellite, everything that tells you, your cell phone, that tells everybody where you are at all the time. And I, I think what technology is what is going to be the biggest hindrance of the cannonball or transcontinental driving in this fashion is that they're not going to chase you anymore. They are going to ping your car and they're going to come get you. That's just going to be what's going to happen. <laughs> so it sounds like you're uh, you're really excited to try out that new plate here in California, the electric plate that tracks. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's you know it's coming into our rental companies. A rental company, if you drive you know, drive a car now at over a certain speed, they can call you in, or you know OnStar can call you in. It's 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 already exists. So how are you going to beat it? 
Are you yeah. going and rip the OnStar out of the car? I mean, because what they'll do then is they'll just make it so the car will run without the OnStar. It's that yeah. simple. So, I mean, it's um, it's it's a yin and a yang. You know, it's that technology is going to beat us. Um, that's the way that they started. They started with the CB radio. They didn't chase you. They just called ahead and they set up a roadblock and, you know, that's that's how they got you. And and now it's just, you know, gotten to the point where they've got your cell phone, they've got your car, they've got the satellite, and they've got the ability to come find you. So it's 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 really it's really a, a tough gig and I can say fortunate slash unfortunate, you know, where's Cannonball going to go from here? Is everybody asks, is there a faster time? Is is there ability to do this? Is there ability to do that? Who knows? I mean, Arnie's and Doug's time may stand another 30, 40 years, but then what's the rules? Then was the rules changed? I mean, you know, what, what are they going to come up with uh, that, that can beat it? Or, you know, what's the standard? Um, uh, I think, you know, Arnie and Doug probably got a time that's going to stay for a really long time. And it, we're very close. And, you know, and the best part that I like about it and I enjoy it is they're great guys. I like both Arnie and Doug. And, you know, we can always say, well, what if I did this or what if I did that? Or, you know, it, it's close enough now where it's debatable as to what's the fastest way across the country. Because as the time goes down, it makes the solo that much easier. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what's it, where's your head at? Like uh, when you drive in at New York, are you, do you drive in New York and hang out or do you drive in New York, get your timestamps and do you split? I already had my stuff all set. The biggest issue I had with New York this time, and this was the sketchy part, we really, your research didn't help you here. Um, you didn't know what gas stations were open and what gas stations were open. So you didn't know how long it was, or I didn't know how long it was going to take me to get into New York. And I actually started out at a tank deficit of, I want to say it, was, it wasn't a lot more than half a tank of fuel because I didn't know where or if I could get fuel in New York because New York was locked down. So I started with that deficit right off the bat. And I just said to myself, well, we're, we're just going to roll the dice and I believe we figured out I had around 130 gallons in the car when, uh, when it sounds it like so much fuel. But when you're looking at the other coast, <laughs> it probably doesn't sound like that much. No. So so I had 130 gallons when I fueled up. And what I did is I fueled up early so I could follow, you know, I could channel my my fuel mileage and stuff with the car underweight and and uh, you know, at speed sometimes. But what I didn't realize is how much I would have burned because I got to New York a little bit early. I got in there, you know, probably hour, hour and fifteen minutes before I was going to go, and I kind of just sat there and kind of hid because there was police cars parked around all the buildings, and um, so huh. I just kind of sat there and hid, and you know, waited for my time. And then when I pulled up, you know, I got out and did all my stuff, but I. I rolled the dice and said, well, I'm either going to have enough fuel or I'm not. Cause I had a set up fuel truck, you know, on the Kellyville drum right exit right off of a uh, 44. And when they fueled me up, they, they put in 127, 126, 127 gallons of fuel and it only held 130. So I had a little bit more on the other end 
but I could run a little harder on the other end too. So, it, um, so how? I mean, I've, I've driven in New York. I've been in New York, um, and it's it's an experience for somebody that's not from there. Like how how, how, how are you just like? I mean, obviously, you're trying to get out of Dodge as fast as you possibly can, but, um, like, how are you feeling, like, at the beginning of the race? I mean, are you feel, or do you feel like you're more, um, like, the anticipation is, like, a problem that you have to overcome to just, like, relax and get, get moving, or? Well, New York was so different than it's ever been. So, you know, you get, when you normally do a run, or, like, when I did my 18 run out of New York, and, you know, Ed and Arnie and Alex Roy were sitting in the, the Audi getting ready to go. And I'm sitting in the Galaxy and I'm kind of staged behind them so I can get in and get my time stamp and get out of there. And we're sitting there and we're waiting and we're waiting. It was kind of stressful because you got people blowing their horns, get out of the way, you know, you know, and you're kind of sitting there, just go around. And, and this was weird. It was like a ghost town. You're sitting there. There's nobody around. There's nobody walking around. There's nobody. Wow. It's and like I said, all that all the buildings had police cars all the way around them. So to me, I just kind of wanted to get on the road because it, it, it was an unchartered territory that I hadn't seen in New York before. But not only that, with the pandemic going on, I didn't know what the response was going to be with a car from Texas, you know, sitting sitting in front of the Red Ball garage. You know, I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. I didn't know what anything because i'm by myself i mean there's no there's no brass band there's no you know send-off party like alex roy had it's it's some bozo from maine in a rented mustang with you know 130 gallons of fuel in it so, <laughs> I, mean, I just wanted to leave that's all i wanted to do i just wanted to go so ever since we talked the last time that's one thing that i just keep like looping in my mind like i'll be just driving somewhere and i'll kind of you know glance around the vehicle like you do um and i think if i got pulled over right now and the cop looked in and he's seen a gas tank <laughs> sitting next to me and in the back like how would i explain that <laughs> fortunately i didn't have to but i did think at one point i was going to have to i i'd gone to walmart i bought some black towels i covered it up and i had my story ready and and you know that was the other thing. I had a story ready. I, I sat there long enough, and and I had thought it out. What? Because the same thing. You get on the other end of the country. California was shut down. You know, are am I even going to be allowed to get in here? I didn't have yeah. people running around checking gates and doing all that stuff. You know, I was literally by the seat of my pants. Here we go. It's either going to go or it's not. And, <laughs> a buddy of mine said. He goes, you're thinking about this too hard, man. Just wrap all those gas tanks like Christmas presents and tell them you're going to a birthday party or something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, one of the guys that follows uh, us over at the lower, uh, Douglas Pine, uh, <laughs> Douglas Pineapple, um, he had two questions for you. Um, his first question, which I, I was going to ask anyway, so I, lo I love this question. What was the scariest moment of the whole run for you? Scariest moment, um, probably the scariest moment. There wasn't really any driving incidents that, that were scary. Um, I wouldn't really say I was ever scared. More like heart racing. The heart racing, um, probably 
when I got to actual the um, ag station in California and saw the guy's car tore apart in front of me. You know, they're searching the guy's car and we were kind of divided up. Oh, wow. Lines. That, that, that to me was probably sketched me out the most. Um, but it seemed like it was forever. You're sitting there and you're just like, oh, am I going to jail? If they do this to my car, I'm probably going to go. But am I going to go to jail? Because COVID, do they have any place you can put you in jail? So, you know, that was probably the most sketched out I was. Um, Probably the most wham shock was when I saw the cop chasing me in California. (laughs) Was it, do you know if it was a highway patrol or was it like local PD or? Never saw him close enough. I saw the lights in my mirror. I put on my blinker, got off the interstate to kind of alert them I was getting off the interstate and just created a version where I was able to take a series of exits right back onto the same road and keep going straight. And that that with kind of sleep deprivation setting in, um, your mind is kind of, you go from a little bit foggy to high, on high alert and you start thinking crazy stuff. Is there going to be cops waiting for me here, waiting for me there? Do they know what I'm doing? You know, type thing. And and that was probably, if you were going to say a scary moment, probably, probably the the, the combination of the sleep deprivation with the unknown factor of what was going to take place. Sorry about that. Oh, it's all right. I don't know why he did that. <laughs> and of course, he's got to come over and get some scratches. To prove that, because he, he did such a good job at barking at nothing. <laughs> so, uh, Douglas Pineapple's second question for you was: Do you have a favorite character from the movies, or do you do you like the movies? Um, yeah, I just a lot of people have to understand that's my era I grew up in. So you have to love Farrah Fawcett. If you don't love Farrah Fawcett, don't even turn on the TV. <laughs> she was just so so great and just so amazing and you know she was she was our you know pinup girl she was the girl that was on the poster of the wall you know she had a little ford mustang too i'm a ford guy you know she was she was my favorite you know everybody you know always picks burt reynolds probably a lot of people pick farrah um i just always liked farrah fawcett i just thought she was a good soul Um, like a safe pick Um, another question we had uh, from Ross Martin was, uh, well, we I think we already covered that. Uh, why run solo when you could do it with a pilot or a team? It seems like it was just that was the goal to run solo, just to yeah. run solo. Um, Mark was wondering uh, if you had a dead man switch for the taillights, and it sounds like we covered that one too. Yep. <laughs> Without putting you too much on the spot, um, George Long was wondering. Uh, if you had any, if you'd received any additional feedback from the rental agency after that? None at all. The one thing that was funny when Ed put up the video about the rental car, um, Avis actually, their, their commercial came up on the video about me using the rental car. Um, it was kind of <laughs> funny. It was a YouTube commercial on the video in an Avis rental car that, that did the record. Um, no, I really, I never heard anything from them again. And there really wasn't much of anything they could do. They, they had already sold the car. They had already, you know, I tried to buy the car. The car was already sold. Um, it was kind of out of their hands by the time they found out about it. There really wasn't anything. They couldn't get me for damage because the car 
went back 100% the way that, that I received it. And nobody, nobody ever knew anything was different about the car other than me. I had to put tires on it after the Bandit run because I blew a tire in the Bandit run. And uh, it, when I bought the car in Louisiana, it still had the same uh, half bald Michelin's I put on it. So I returned <laughs> it to the rental company. So it was kind of, no, I didn't receive any issues with the, the rental company. That's hilarious. Um, so we talked, you kind of were hit on, this is another thing I had a question in regards to, and we kind of touched on it earlier um, in regards to the advancement of technology. Um, do you think an electric car could be competitive uh, in in a run like this, like especially with the charging requirement? And that gets back to another question. What are the rules? Now, I actually had talked to Ford Motor Company about doing it in an electric car. And I, we had talked about having stations where you just had a change out battery. So with that being a possibility, or an extra long life battery and being able to pull up on the side of the road and swap out a battery as adverse to sit there for four or five minutes at a fuel pump, you know, or a fuel tank. And uh, there, there might be a possibility there if you did it in that fashion. And I've talked about doing it. And, um, you know, other people, I think Kyle Connor, I think, has the uh, record right now in the, the EV cars. And, and uh, but, you know, I've talked about setting up stations where I just change out the whole battery and keep on going. And uh, I think. And this is just going to be a hundred percent honest. I don't believe, unless they can find a much longer range, that an electric car at this time would be able to do it. Because number one, the technology of the electronics, knowing where the car is, knowing how fast it's going, the ability to shut it down by a manufacturer or or a company, or to ping it by a you know police department. Um, you have that technology as well. But the biggest thing is, is I don't think there's a lot left on the table. I mean, the the roads are pretty busy. And I don't know if you travel a lot, but trucking now is very, very big. There's a lot of trucks on the road, more so than I've ever seen in my life. Um, I used to go and used to be able to pull in a rest area and there might be three or four trucks there. Now, now you may have to go to the next rest area because there's no place to park. And that doesn't mean matter if you're driving a car or if you're driving a semi, and they're just stacked everywhere. So I, I think I'm not going to say no because I don't want to be the one who's you know proven wrong because the person who always says no never never accomplishes anything. Sure. So I think obviously <laughs> there's potential, but I think a lot of things would have to change. You'd have to you know like I said, think outside the box, um, come up with you know quick. Uh, quick change batteries or you know very a lot better battery technology than we have you have to do something about the traffic because i don't care what you put in the fuel tank to power it if you can't get around the cars if car accident or anything unless somebody's actually just going to shut down the road and let people have at it um I think that you have a lot of variables, like you said before, a great reference is it's just an ever-changing Rubik's Cube that, you know, are you going to get the right solution or are you just going to get one panel right? I mean, so it's a matter of not going to say no. <laughs> huh. That's that's an interesting idea. The If it was to be a sanctioned race to 
to do a cascade shutting down of the road to accommodate a bracket of racers running from one side of the country to the other. I mean, it would take, that'd be a, a hell of an undertaking to get all those ducks in a row. Yeah. Um, especially since you'd have to be able to accommodate, you know, the front runner, you know, getting everything shut down in front of that guy or girl long enough to, and then accommodating whoever's, you know, straggling behind. That'd be a hell of a race. But, but, if you're just one car, it's not that hard to do. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, is you had one person with a billionaire that could, that could, you know, pay the police departments or whatever, shut down the exits. I do Reese Across America, or I have with my family, uh, my father before, and they shut down the George Washington Bridge for us to drive across. So, oh, if, wow. If, if they can do it for a convoy of Reese going Darlington National Cemetery, somebody with a lot of money and a lot of horsepower easily could set that up across the country and have the roads parted so they can come through. Yeah, that may be why those guys are going to space. Finding a penis shaped car might be more difficult than. <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you right now, every woman who saw that thing go off wants to know if that's available on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a few memes already where it shows that it's like an exact copy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> on Amazon already. Um, so, I mean, that's I think the last part I wanted to, to really go over with you was um, something I was really shocked about especially from the car magazine community is that there did seem to be uh and has seemed to be some backlash over um somebody reporting an attempt or completing uh, a record um it's not something that happens that often i mean every once in a while it seems like there's you know, three or four guys make the run successfully or the, the record. I think maybe it has to do with, you know, automotive technology improving to a point where a higher, a faster record is attainable. But yeah. it's not like it's something that's happening on a monthly basis. And um, I think the one that really shook me up the most was uh, Angelo, uh, an author, Angelo Meluso. And I believe it was in... No, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Uh, oh, no, it was. And it was in uh, Road and Track. And it said the headline was a man drove solo across America in 25 hours and 55 minutes in, in a rental Mustang. Sounds like great clickbait to me. But yeah. the first sentence of the article is you'll be forgiven from stifling a yawn as we delve into the details of yet another cannonball record. And I'm like, yeah. where are the, are they pulled? First of all, did Angelo previously write for home and garden? <laughs> and second of all, I don't, how did that hit you? I mean, you, you're accomplishing something that doesn't get accomplished. I mean, I would say there's probably a hell of a lot more guys climbing Mount Everest then there are setting cannonball records and it just seemed like the, the automotive, at least the automotive uh, writers weren't there for you. Well, I, I think a lot of that comes now is um, the people that are writing these articles aren't really car guys. 
I think that's a lot of them. I think I think it's a you know you see it on Monster.com or whatever. We're looking for a journalist, and you know they find somebody that has the right paperwork or the right credentials, and they they you know plug them into the outlet where they fit, and and they write about stuff. And and uh, I know that there was a lot of records, there were a lot of things going on at the same time. It seemed like the, the record was getting broken regularly, and. Um, to be honest with you, it really didn't bother me because I'm used to it. Um, it's been a storybook of my life. Uh, I'm actually writing a memoir, and, and a lot of it's my accomplishments that you know I, I've accomplished over the years, and, and kind of just get kicked down the ladder. And uh, it, it's fine with me. You know, it, you uh, the easiest way to I, I put it is everybody needs a villain, and I'm fine being the villain. If I'm the <laughs> one they want to kick down the ladder, that's fine. I climbed up it before, kicked me down again. I'll climb back up it again. So, so that stuff really doesn't bother me. It's been a story, really, very much in my life. Um, a lot of accomplishments, and, and been very, very happy with the things I've been able to do with my life. And uh, there's just always some naysayers out there. And I don't think necessarily what I find as as a goal or an achievement is something that you know generally would be perceived by the general population of something of significance or safety that didn't endanger others. And I really think that's kind of where maybe the perspective of that article comes from. And I, like you said, I'm fine with it. GQ, it, GQ did an awesome article about me. They flew up to Maine. We, we spent a couple of days up there and uh, I got to, I got to take Alex up there. Uh, Alex Palmer, great young man. He had never been over 70 miles an hour in a car. So uh, we fixed that. How is that possible? Uh, well, you know, a lot of people, it gets back to what we're saying, you know, he's a journalist, you know, probably rides a subway train to work, lives in, lives in, um, you know, city. And, um, so, you know, it probably never really had the opportunity or had the, had the desire to do it. And when I actually got to take him for a ride, he really got out and shook my hand. And, and he said to me, he says like, you know, that's something I may never have experienced in my life or ever experience again. And it really put in perspective, just even for a short period of time, how complacent you can become driving at that speed. And um, so it was really nice to give something back to Alex. Alex is a great, great journalist. Uh, really, really did his due diligence, you know, verified all my stuff. You know, um, took some, took me down to, sent me down to Boston, had a photo shoot done with the car. Kind of, kind of a different aspect of you know, famous photographer did that. And um, he gave us a really, really thorough and possibly, I would say, the best write-up ever done on on Cannonball or transcontinental driving outside of Brock Yates. You know, you got to really give Brock Yates credit. Uh, he's the one who started this, and he really, you know, is is the is the the founding father of the event. And outside of Cannonball Baker, he really is what brought this to life. And, he, he revived. He, he he was the life support that uh, pumped uh, Cannonball Baker back into uh, notoriety and really ran with it. So, you know, outside of Brock Yates's um, uh, books and memoirs and stuff about the events, um, I, I think as an independent writer, probably Alex captured captured the best uh, probably follow up I've ever seen done on the Cannonball. Man. Yeah, I, you're. That's. I really appreciate the graciousness of that response, because I definitely found myself, um, especially. I'm such a fan of 
automotive magazines in general, um, and 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 the, with it, even and with the transition to online magazines, I, you know, I'm a consumer. If if there's yeah. a cool car, I'm going to click on it. If there's a a story that seems interesting, I'm going to I'll click on it. I'm going to read it, and then you click. I'm clicking on a lot of these stories, and it seems to be happening more and more. Um, and it's like. This is a niche magazine providing niche information written by somebody that doesn't give a shit yeah. about this particular niche. Um, it was uh, actually not too long ago. Uh, I don't remember the art, what the article was about specifically, but it was the same author um, that had I'd had these feelings about before. And I, I wrote, I'm like, does this guy even, I mean, this guy's living the dream. He's yeah, yeah. working at an automotive, a company that's automotive centric, writing about automotive stuff. And it, it's like he doesn't even want to be there. And yeah. uh, one of the, and I, I, I wrote that as my, the, the response. It's like so disheartening as a guy that, I mean, I'm pump out. It's not, you know, I'm not writing in depth stuff, but, you know, I'm pumping out stuff pretty consistently and responding consistently. And this guy doesn't want to be, in a place that I'm, I, I would consider like high up on the mountaintop. Oh yeah, definitely. And one of the guys that uh, follows me, I wish I could remember uh, what his name was, but he goes like, uh, he was like, I read the article, I agree. I went to the guy's Facebook page, and his headline picture of his is hit him on a bike, like a bicycle. <laughs> He's yeah. like, that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the bike did not have a motor on it. No, it did not have a motor on it. <laughs> so do you see any, um, you mentioned you were talking with Ford um, and you were working on some TV stuff. Is there anything like upcoming or anything we should be looking out for? Um, yeah, I'm actually on TV right now. Um, every Sunday night I'm on HGTV, uh, Battle on the Beach. I uh, recently filmed a TV show down in Gulf Shores last March and April, uh, the home challenge with uh, three contestants, and I'm the on-camera on carpenter. So, oh, cool. Yeah, so um, I uh, helped build a house with uh, Daryl and Soonjay. There are some great, great people out of uh, Atlanta. And uh, Allison Victoria was our, our mentor, and Mike Holmes, and Mina Starsiak, uh, Ty Pennington was there, uh, Tanya was there, I can never remember her last name, but it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really, really good show. Um, they, they really did some great diligence, I, I have to thank them a lot, they've given me a lot of exposure and uh, notoriety and, and really some kudos from the TV show, but um, we won the first challenge, didn't win the second challenge, uh, but it's on HGTV every Sunday night, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, so-and-so, so-and-so. Uh, I'm, uh, HGTV just called me up about possibly doing another show in Chattanooga. Uh, I'm looking into doing that. And I'm working with a close colleague uh, out of uh, Philadelphia, which we're looking at doing actually our own TV show here in Oklahoma. And, oh, nice. Uh, so we got a couple of things kind of going on, but, you know, right now I'm just renovating my house and, you know, been, been cleaning up around here, trying to get ready for the event in September. It's uh, the 18 again. And like I said, um, it's kind of a 50th anniversary of transcontinental driving. I'm uh, going to have a bunch of guys here. You're more than welcome. You're invited to come out. And uh, man, that'd be great. Not, not a lot beyond that, but 
my my lifestyle pace has picked up so fast. What what happens today could be different tomorrow. So well, congratulations, man. Yeah, I'm stoked on all of your success. I hope it obviously continues, uh, and I'm I'm really hoping maybe somebody will turn some automotive content your way because yeah, sure could use some some decent automotive content. Yeah, I've actually I've been in talks with a couple of producers about. Uh, um, a couple pitches I have for them. I've just had so much really going on right now that it, it's been really tough to to deviate from the, the things I have directly in front of me. And um, I don't want to put too many things in front of me because uh, I don't want to take away from a good opportunity and that could give me a, a better better notoriety. I, I built cars for Street Outlaws this year. That'll be on TV. I, I did, forgot to mention that. Oh, For cool. Asian and Farm Truck. I actually, I had a hand in that boat that they just, the farm boat, that's pretty awesome yeah so i had a hand in that i actually sourced all the the pontoons for it for farm truck and uh a lot of the cars you're going to start seeing over the next few months on their tv show uh, i had a hand in building and built a lot of them uh you probably won't see me a lot on that tv show i i found out you know towards the latter end of my time there that that i was their uh, automotive ninja they wanted me necessarily in the background not necessarily as a uh as a cast member so um yeah we did that so. <laughs> you make you're making them look bad <laughs> oh well it's you know i i just try to do the best i can every time i do something and you know hopefully when i leave you know people people want me back or, or says hey you know that guy gave us a, a solid effort and and I'm seeing that with HGTV, and and right now, you know, that's that's starting to pay off. I'm seeing some dividends on that, and you know, I, I wouldn't be as a mind to do some uh, some automotive stuff, and hopefully, it's going to go that way. Uh, another good friend of mine who used to be um, on uh, I want to say overhaul and possibly uh, contacted me today about doing some content and some stuff with him. So nice, but it's it, it's like everything you have to trying to think of a way to put it you have to plan plan 10 things for one to happen or you have to see you know 10 opportunities before one pays off so um i am a very blessed person and one thing I, I i like to tell everybody is is i'm the same guy i've always been i'm the same guy that grew up in hancock Maine. that if you call my phone i'm going to answer you know if you want to talk for an hour we'll talk for an hour and you know if it, i'm no different than anybody else i put my pants on one leg at a time and and uh, to me, that's that's probably the most fun of the whole thing is is understanding and still remembering where I came from. Well, I I got to say, when I initially uh, read of your effort and then read the responses and I put out the word, you know, just through my little network and you actually responded, I was over the moon um, that you would even be interested. And I, I know I really appreciate you taking the time and sitting down with me and um, I'm going to try and get this this posted as fast as I can. I don't know how fast that will be, but I will go as fast as I can. And um, man, I, I I I hope we stay in touch. I really look forward to to seeing what your next endeavors are. Well, definitely, definitely stay in touch. And I, I appreciate you, you know, taking taking the time to sit down with me. I, I always enjoy you know meeting people and talking to people from all over the globe or you know wherever it is and like I say I think you know keep it keeping everybody grounded and, and realizing that you know we we all can do, do whatever we want to in life if we put our mind to it.
Well, if you ever make another run and you want a bit of fanfare at the LA at, at down in LA when you come in for your landing, let me know and I'll meet you down there. Well, I can tell you this: there are some things in the works, and uh, I will definitely let you know when when it happens. I look forward to the call, sir. Thank you so much for your time. All right, thank you very much for having me. Have a good night. You too.